Michael Duke show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my new friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Where's my rifle? Where's my gun? This is for Biden. This is for Firearms Friday. Firearms Friday. Howdy. Good morning, Alaskans. It's Friday. Stand by for firearms. (laughs) Oh, man. Hey, it's that day. I am so excited to talk with you. Firearms Friday, TGIFF. Thank you for being part of the program today as we get ready to dive down into it and talk about all the things that are fit to print in the... uh, in the in in the world today, thank you for being uh, thank you for being part of it and coming on board and joining us. Firearms Friday, of course, is the one day a week that we dedicate to the Second Amendment, uh, where we talk about nothing but guns and firearms rights and so much more. That is all right here uh, on the Michael Duke Show. Now today on the program, um, uh, we've got. Uh, uh, We've got a uh, we've got a, a a boatload of good stuff to talk about. In just a few minutes, we're going to be picking it up <clears throat> with our friend D- uh, JD Tuchili, who is a contributing editor for Reason Magazine. Um, I've got a handful of friends that write for Reason Magazine, and uh, JD is uh, he is uh, in the tippy top of his class there. He recently wrote an article, <clears throat> which I'm going to post up in the uh, chat room. Uh, about the latest regs from the ATF. These are the new ghost gun rules that President Biden was talking about here a couple of weeks ago. And these uh, have finally been published in the official register. Uh, but Chuchilli goes through this and talks about how these new laws <clears throat> or these new regulations, which have the force of law, I guess I should say, these rules, um, are about as clear as mud. Uh, both the uh, um, the industry, all the industry insiders who are watching this are slightly baffled as to what is now legal and what is not going to be legal. It's in its 120-day period, by the way, um, for being published, and it's inviting just a ton of lawsuits. Uh, we talked about this briefly last week, I think, week before, uh, originally when this came out, and now we're going to get uh, some details uh, directly from J.D. Tuchili, who has, again, uh, written this article in Reason Magazine, which I think is uh, it's a good summation of what some of the major problems are with the new ruling. And this seems to be the new <clears throat> this seems to be the new norm uh, for uh, uh, for the uh, uh, for the government and especially for administrations that are anti-gun uh, because Congress is unwilling to act. Uh, and I think. Rightfully so. I think they understand what this means that, that from their constituencies, that they may 
that they may talk about this uh, uh, in passing as how you know they're strong on gun control or whatever, but they understand that uh, in the ballot box that this really is a losing uh, a losing proposition. Uh, so Congress has has not acted, has not tried to enact stiffer gun control laws and everything else. So now we're seeing uh, the president doing this by caveat. Um, and quite honestly, we can thank President Donald Trump for starting this trend. Uh, he started uh, back uh, early on during the Parkland days and the Parkland shooting uh, when he talked about the red flag laws and how this shooter for Parkland was not caught um, <clears throat> or not, uh, you know, not uh, uh, taken care of early on because I mean, there was some kind of justification or why, even though he had over 20 interactions with both local law enforcement and with the FBI. I mean, this guy was, he was a known bad actor and still he ended up getting the gun and then doing the dirty deed. But there was a lot of talk around Parkland about the red flag laws and how, you know, we needed to do it. And Trump was quoted at that point as uh, saying, well, we'll just take the guns and we'll worry about due process later because we know that red flag laws specifically are uh, are a real real abrogation of the due process rights of the citizens who are normally accused of these things there are plenty of other laws that, on the books that you could use if somebody is uh, acting crazy or uh, making threats or doing or is danger to themselves or others the red flag laws are definitely a problem um, and they abrogate that due process. Well, the President Trump was the first one to really basically say, well, we'll just take the guns and we'll worry about due process later. Later on, he went ahead and, again, did more damage um, by doing things via fiat. Uh, and that was with the reclassification of bump stocks, which is which had already gone through a couple different rounds of classifications from the ATF. Um, and had been determined that uh, under the Obama administration of all of all folks, that they were legal, lawful pieces of equipment that could be used with guns. And the president had his administration and his ATF arbitrarily just uh, uh, just uh, you know declare that all bump stocks were illegal. So we set the precedent, and now we here we have uh, uh, you know. The Muppet in Chief basically saying, oh, I'm going to use that and run with it. And that's what they've done here with this new ghost gun ruling that the BATF&E has put together and uh, as now published. So anyway, J.D. Tuchilli is going to be talking with us about that here in just a moment. And uh, we can, uh, we'll, we'll get some details on it. And again, this comes right back to this whole idea that somehow... It's only the left, and this really falls down, uh, this is the same thing we've been talking about during the week when we're talking about the state government, and we're talking about people who are in our legislature, uh, you know, the Democrats or the Republicans, and it's like everybody wants to play on Team Elephant or Team Donkey when you don't realize that a lot of these team members are not your friends. You know, this is not always a left and right question. This is, you know, it's not always a problem of the left or a problem of the right. This is a politician problem. Uh, when they're willing to abrogate your rights and worry about those rights later, that's a problem. And so I, I really wish people would get out of the whole left and right dichotomy, the whole party problem of, uh, well, I'm just going to vote for my guy because he's the – and, you know, <clears throat> this is uh, this is just another prime example of it. Uh, we saw the Republicans in Ronald Reagan cave in 1986 when they uh, passed the uh, – 
uh, FOPA, the Firearms Owners Protection Act, where they ended up outlawing and uh, banning the new transfer, uh, the transfer of any new machine gun uh, and the reinforcement of the ATF on those kind of things for the NFA list and everything else. We we saw them. We saw, you know, we saw the NRA roll over and we saw Republicans support it, which, again, was just another infringement. We never had a real problem in this country um, with those kind of things. And yet they felt it necessary to basically make it unlawful for Americans to keep and bear those type of arms, a specific type of arm, a type of arm that had not had a statistically significant impact on crime, although that's what they said it was all about. This, again, is part of the problem. Um, The left and the right working together on all this crazy kind of stuff. Um, all right. Um, so we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about that with JD to Chile. Uh, I've got some other stories, uh, that I want to get to. I'm just trying to figure out which one I want to, uh, which one I want to, uh, take a crack at here, uh, to begin with. I guess we could, uh, I guess we could start off with, uh, I guess we could start off with this story on, um, on rust, right? This was the whole movie set, Alec Baldwin, doing his thing uh, and, uh, you know, during some rehearsal, not exercising uh, pr- proper mindset or safety, and, of course, ending up wounding and killing uh, two separate uh, members of the crew, including the director of photography, Helena Hutchins. Um, and Baldwin has continually come out later on and said that he did nothing wrong. He uh, he didn't – my the, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger well, now the Santa Fe County Sheriff's Office has released some evidence related to the shooting on the Rust set, and it included a clip of the scene where um, a, a, a rehearsal clip of the scene where the cinematographer was killed. And you can actually see it in the video. And I'll paste this up. Uh, Tom Knighton over at Bearing Arms has got a a good handle on it. Uh, you could take a look at this. I'll post it up in the chat room right now. Uh, and you can watch it uh, at your leisure. But you could very clearly see that during the interaction, during the uh, during the rehearsal, uh, that Alec Baldwin draws the gun, his finger is immediately on the trigger, and as he does that, he cocks the hammer and drops the hammer back. Now, uh, for those of you who don't are, are not familiar with single action revolvers, um, that if your finger is tight on the trigger and you draw and drop the hammer. Um, it essentially, I mean, that's how you fan the hammer, right? When you fan the hammer, you're just basically holding your finger on the trigger and you're fanning the hammer back and it's cycling, it's cycling the pistol, uh, the cylinder through, through its turns. Um, this could have led to, uh, to the gun going off. Now I know he said he didn't, he didn't pull the trigger. He didn't do whatever, but if his finger was already exerting enough pressure on it, and again, you, this flies right in the face of what one of the uh, directors said. One of the directors was like, oh, I, his finger was on the outside of the trigger guard the whole time. Well, you can see in this clip that that's not the case. Now, I mean, nobody said that he intentionally fired it. But remember, you're practicing, you're practicing. He's In this scene, he's practicing some kind of fast draw. And uh, when you have that, uh, you you basically develop a muscle memory. And in this case, you can see if this was a... If this was a uh, uh, if this was a take uh, from a previous rehearsal, you could see that he he is developing a muscle memory of drawing the firearm with his finger on the trigger 
and then fanning the hammer back with his, you know, cocking the hammer back with his thumb, and uh, and it could go off. That's what happened here. And it's, you know, it, this thing is a tragedy. You know, it's a tragedy. Uh, the armorer should have done a better job. The production director should have done a better job. Uh, Baldwin should have done a better job of, uh, you know, checking his own firearms, I guess. I mean, there's a lot. I guess the biggest part of this whole thing is the deflection that Baldwin is showing. If he had just said, man, this is a tragic accident, and I I mean, I, I wish it would have gone differently. But instead, he goes up on George Stephanopoulos and every other program and talks about how, oh, he never did this. He would have never done that. This is all, it's like, you know, the blame casting on this. Um, but as more and more of this information comes out, you can see that this is going to be problematic in the long run. But remember, how you train is how you fight, right? That's the that's the old axiom. How you train is how you fight. And so although he's an actor and he's not fighting, he is training in those rehearsals. So if every time you do the rehearsal, you stick your finger in the, in the trigger guard on the trigger and you fan the hammer with your thumb as you draw it out of your holster... Well, that's how you're going to do it every time. I mean, that's that's you know that's how it is. This is this is a monumental failure on all parts, on all areas for sure, and it's a tragedy. But de, you know, deflecting blame, as Baldwin has been doing in almost every uh, you know news conference or interview since then, doesn't help the problem at all. Does not help it one single bit. All right. Um, look, we're up against the break. I got some other stories to get to, but JD Two Chili is waiting in the wings. We're going to bring him on the program here in a hot second. We're going to talk about the new ATF regs that and rules that just got published. What does it mean for those of you who are hobbyists that would like to build, create, 3D print, drill, press, mill out your own gun receivers? Well, a lot of people aren't really sure, even industry experts. And we'll find out more about that from uh, JD to Chile from Reason Magazine when we return it is the Michael Duke Show common sense liberty based free thinking radio if you missed the show you can listen to it on your time with Dukes on Demand oh and it's free like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now, getting ready to uh, do our thing. You know, our thing. Our our thing and our dealio. That's what it's all that's what it's all about. Oh, whoops. I got the wrong got wrong flicking the wrong switch there. Um, all right. Let me actually put myself back on. Hi, how are you? Sorry. Too many buttons and and bells and whistles this morning. Uh, All right. We're going to get JD2 Chili here on the line here in a second. I've got two lines on hold. Um, I hadn't opened up the phone lines yet. Uh, So callers, um, you can hold if you want. um, Or you can hang up and wait because I'm going to be talking with JD until the top of the the hour. So... um, you know, just uh, I don't I don't want you guys to have to hang out unless you want to, and I don't necessarily want to kill your calls directly. Uh, but uh, I got 
I got stuff to do, stuff to do and people to see, and I'm going to uh, make that, uh, doggone it, I'm going to make that uh, phone call right now to J.D. to Chile. We'll see if we can get him on the line and get things rolling on. How about that? Hey, look at that. Phone's ringing. That's what I like to hear. J.D. Tuchelli. Good morning, Mr. Tuchelli, sir. How are you? Doing well, and you? You know, uh, there's no snow. It's like, uh, it was like 41 degrees this morning uh, outside the old house, and so I'm feeling pretty good. I think spring is here. And we're, that is toasty up there, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's it's ready. We're about to we're about to jump into a blazing summer, and uh, we're all ready for it. So, how about you? How are things in Texas? Uh, we're doing well here. I'm actually in Arizona, and we're uh, kind of on the front lines of the fire season. But uh, you know, we're not on fire yet. We take that as a good thing. Yeah, we've got like one of the largest forest fires in the world burning up here already. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, we, we get a lot of acreage, so we get some big fires up here. Definitely not our favorite time of year, the fire season for sure. No, I totally understand that. And I uh, hope to get through it in one piece myself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we're ready here. We're in the break right now. It's just you, me, and 38 of our closest friends here on Facebook and YouTube, uh, as we're in the commercial break, ready to rejoin the radio. Uh, but I'm super excited to talk about, well, not excited. I guess that's the wrong way to put it. Uh, I'm super interested to talk about uh, your latest article, which you wrote a couple weeks ago about the ATF and the ghost gunner rules. Um, Let me see if I can clarify the issue a little bit more than the ATF did. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Because, man, that was like, I mean, it was like, what? I mean, are we even talking the same language? It's just, it's, it's crazy. Um, It is. So we're going to get into that and see what some of the reaction has been, especially as an update. You wrote this thing about 10, 12 days ago. So We'll, we'll get an update on some of the things you've discovered since then. Uh, and other than that, I want to welcome you to Firearms Friday. It seems like I always end up calling you on a Friday. I don't know why, but uh, I guess because you are, you, you've been writing pretty effusively uh, uh, about uh, about gun rights and everything else. You and your son built the, built your own ghost gun the other what, we last did. year. We, we did that last summer. We did an 80% aluminum receiver. We uh, drilled it out and milled it out and installed the parts. We had a great time. Things yeah. go, thing goes bang on a uh, regular basis. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure you did it in less than 30 minutes, right? I mean, you just... <laughs> yeah, perhaps a little bit longer than that, um, it, but it can be done. I, I had to laugh because, I mean, I put, I've built a lot of guns in my life. I've never done an 80% receiver, but I've built a lot of guns from pieces and parts. And I got to tell well, you, it takes thirty minutes just after. I mean, inevitably, one of the springs and small bits goes flying over your shoulder. Sure, thirty I, minutes to find that. That's what I'm saying. I mean, it takes me thirty minutes to put a gun together if I have all the parts in front of me. Let alone yep. if you want me to build one of the parts as well. It's just, uh, it's just so much ridiculousness. But all right, well, we'll get started on this. Hold on, uh, JD. Just enjoy my virtual coffee in the virtual green room there, uh, while we get things, uh, while we get things started. All right, folks. Um, Let's uh, let's uh, let's like and share this video. Let's like and share, and like and follow the show page as well. If you'd like to get notifications every uh, morning when we go live, uh, that would be the way to do it. You can also hit the subscribe button and ring the bell on YouTube. And finally, if you're watching on Twitch TV this morning, which I haven't seen anybody comment on Twitch, but uh, feel free to hit the follow button and. Um, um, it's, uh, it's good to, it's good to have you guys here with us this morning. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio, JD to Chile up next to discuss the new ATF regs 
right now. Let's do it. All right, welcome back to the program. It is Firearms Friday, your chance to sound off on issues of a two-way nature right here on The Michael Duke Show. Joining us this morning to discuss uh, some of the latest stuff, including this latest batch of regulations that have come out. Um, As I was saying earlier, this is something that's kind of new. Uh, It kind of started under the Obama administration, but then it was accelerated by President Trump, this idea that through administrative edict, they could form different types of gun control that was unpalatable to Congress. Um, uh, under Trump, of course, we had the red flag, we'll take the guns and worry about due process later. And then, of course, the bump, the uh, banning of uh, bump stocks. And now President Biden has taken that to a whole new level with these new ghost gun regulations, which just sounds scary because they're ghost guns. Um, and uh, But the new regs, the problem is, is that they're well, they're, they're not really clear. They're thoroughly confusing. In fact, industry experts and insiders are scratching their head trying to decide how can I comply with this because I don't. It, it makes no sense. J.D. Duchilli wrote an article about this about a couple weeks ago, and uh, we've asked him to come on the program to try and uh, demystify it for us. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you very much for coming on. Um, so first and foremost, before we get into the regs themselves, I mean, maybe you can comment on this, but I mean, this is this is a whole new phase of American um, of, of exercise of power. You know, we saw a few things. This was the old Obama, I've got a phone and I've got a pen thing, right? I can issue edicts and executive orders. Then we saw Trump do it, like I said, under the red flag laws after Parkland, where he's like, well, we'll just worry about due process later. Uh, and then the banning of the bump stocks. And this is the this seems to be the presidential way to do things because Congress refuses to act, and I think rightly so, on gun violence and gun control legislation because they understand that it may make for a great soundbite, but it's a losing proposition at the polls. Uh, what do you say? What What are your thoughts on that before we jump into the ATF regs? Oh, and I, I fully agree with you. This is something that is happening all across the board in policy. It's not just firearms. We're seeing an awful lot of movement by the federal government based on executive action. Um, and actually, I mean, if you go back a year, even the New York Times editorial board is telling President Biden to slow down the, the executive orders. Um, you know, we're getting major uh, expenditures. We're getting major changes in law. We're getting people threatened with imprisonment, not after Congress sat down and voted yes or no on a good or bad bill, but simply based upon orders from the White House to, um, to agencies to reinterpret existing laws and rules in new ways that are, that are favored by the administration. And this is incredibly dangerous. It's, it's ruled by decree. Um, it's bad no matter who does it uh, or in what area of policy it's applied. So, yeah, I mean, this, this definitely, this new ATF bill, uh, sorry, bill, it's not a bill, this new ATF regulation affecting so-called ghost guns, 80% receivers, um, is an example of a much larger and very dangerous problem. This reminds me, and I can't remember if it was Bastiat or, um, I think it was, ba- anyway, one of the one of the French uh, political philosophers wrote specifically about the dangers of bureaucracy. And now that we have Congress, you know, pretty much in, in most cases, abdicating the majority of their responsibility. They'll pass the overall law, but they don't get down to the nitty gritty. And now you've got bureaucrats who are deciding the rules and regs of that law with no real oversight, with no real input. Uh, and those regulations and rules now have the effect and force of law. 
Uh, but I think it all comes back to Congress abdicating their responsibility to say, we are going to lay the law, make it clear so the average man can understand it, and boom, this has been part of the problem in this country for, well, the last 80 years for sure. Yeah, absolutely. An awful lot of laws are written with sections um, you know, that say something along the lines of to be determined by the attorney general or to be determined by the head of this agency or that agency. It's kind of fill in the blank for the civil servants to fill in. And people's lives and freedom um, are very often on the line for how that blank is filled in. It's a very big deal. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the regs themselves. Now, for, for most people who don't understand, and they, maybe they've heard the term ghost guns, uh, ghost guns has become kind of a blanket phrase, kind of like the word assault, you know, assault rifle, um, to basically mean any gun or firearm that's manufactured uh, by the individual from a partially finished receiver, right? I mean, that the receiver is usually the main. Uh, somebody said it's the if you're building a computer, it's the motherboard that everything plugs into. It's the same kind of thing. It is the base, it is the the platform that all the other parts hang off of, essentially, and it's the serialized component. It is what is considered the firearm of all the pieces of the gun. It is the part that is actually legally considered the firearm. Um, but you've been allowed in this country, well, pretty much since the foundation of this country, to make your own guns. You just had to follow so a few basic rules. But it, give us some details of what this new ATF ghost gun reg is all about. Yeah, the reason this rose up is because, well, ghost guns basically are just unserialized. They don't have serial numbers on them, DIY firearms. And the existence of this kind of niche in the market led to the rise of what's called the 80% receiver industry, which are partially finished up to kind of the edge of the law receivers um, that aren't that don't have the final drilling and milling done on them. So they sell them as a kit. You buy them, you take them home, and if you have some basic shop skills, or if you have a CNC machine, I mean, you know, an automated milling machine that's computer directed, um, you can finish it out yourself, install the parts, and have a finished receiver, which can then be assembled into a finished firearm once you assemble the other parts, either as a kit or buying them as individual components. So this industry has existed for a number of years now. It's become very popular. It's actually a lot of fun. I've done it myself. One of my right. colleagues at Reason did it, uh, built a pistol that way. Uh, I built an AR-15 with my son, but people who are anti-gun have pointed at this and said, oh, these are unregistered guns made by God knows who. Never mind that there's a black market that serves actual criminals. Right. Um, yeah, and, and that could care less about any rules of any sort. And this is for hobbyists and people who just uh, you know, don't think it's a great idea for the government to know who owns uh, what. Um, and this these new set of ATF regulations were directed by the Biden administration last year as a reinterpretation of existing rules to apply to this market. And what the new rules say is, I'm not sure, and I'm not sure that anybody is really sure, but the intent <laughs> was very much to regulate the 80% receiver um, industry out of the market. Right. And the fact that these rules are not clear is apparent from the fact that I spoke to two industry insiders, people who really should have a handle on this, who had very different takes on the regulations. Now, given the intent of the Biden administration, I would assume, because again, all this is, is very much based on interpretation of the rules, I would, I would probably assume that the more restrictive interpretation is the one that's going to be applied by the government. Now, you might beat that in court, you might not, but that's going to be a lot of money given to your attorneys and, and a suspension of your life for a couple of years in the meantime. Right. But I spoke to Cody, uh, Cody Wilson of Ghost Gunner, 
And his company, I mean, he's the guy who made the original 3D-printed single-shot pistol. And his company now manufactures CNC machines where you drop in um, an 80% receiver, and the machine finishes it up for you, and then you install the parts and assemble. Um, and he was actually a little disappointed because, you know, not because he thinks that, you know, the industry should be more regulated, but because he thought they were going to hand to basically a monopoly because his ghost gunner machines could actually handle raw blocks of aluminum and, pop and, and uh, polymer. Right. Zero percents, which can't be banned because it's just a paperweight. Right. Um, and he interpreted these new rules as not banning the 80 percent receiver market as being a little more restrictive. But as long as you were careful, careful not to package everything together, the market would still exist. And that would seem to be by one reading and interpretation. The problem is I also spoke to Matthew LaRochier, who is an attorney with the Firearms Policy Coalition. And he read the rules and said, nah, he said they're really mealy-mouthed about their interpretations of the rules, probably because they're right up against the limits of what administrative ruling can do. He says, but um, if you read through what you know their own interpretation, where they're almost certainly going to apply these words, They've allowed themselves the room to ban pretty much everything down to that 0% level. You can't include that because that's just raw blocks of aluminum and polymer. But the 80% market, he thinks, is probably dead here unless the courts intervene. Right. And and I think this thing is is uh, is convoluted and complex and, and uh, opaque enough to really make somebody in the judicial scratch their head and go, I mean, this is supposed to be understandable by the average person. And when you've got two people in the same industry coming at it from two widely different interpretations, I think that that leaves, um, I think that I think it leaves it wide open for um, for uh, uh, you know legal challenge at this point. I would argue that it's a violation of the whole concept of the rule of law. Uh, the whole the rule of law is based on the idea that you know the rulers have to abide by laws they create. They can't come by and arrest you at 2 o'clock in the morning and say, you really ticked off the attorney general. They've got to be able to point to a printed law that you could have seen and understood that said, if you do this, you'll really tick off the attorney general. Um, and if you if you have people who are in the know and are familiar with the industry and who disagree in the interpretation of the rules, it's not a noble law. It's just kind of the feels right. um, of whoever's applying at the time. I would like to think the courts would look at this and say, no, that's not the way this is supposed to work. But And I, and I guarantee you this is going to end up in court. People are going yeah. to be suing left and right because not only is there freedom at stake, but there are livelihoods at stake. Right. And that means that people are motivated to challenge this and say, no, what did you really mean? And is this anywhere in, you know, in the authority of the ATF to go this far in banning an entire industry? You know, interestingly enough, the case that kind of folds into this uh, more closely that's a totally separate issue uh, but is the most recent court case over the CDC mask mandate on uh, on all the travels and transits and airplanes and everything else, because that judge basically said the same thing. The CDC was trying to take unto itself powers that are not delineated anywhere. I mean, where is the limit? Where is the end? And this is kind of the same thing that ATF has been doing, like you said, pushing the envelope of what is actually lawful and legal. I mean, they've given, I mean, it's like on the bump stocks. There were three different determination letters already out under the Obama administration that said bump stocks are illegal. And yet they just arbitrarily said, well, we're going to change that again. I mean, people that had their whole livelihood interrupted because of that. 
Uh, well, absolutely. And at, at some point, I mean, you've got to say, look, you've already issued a determination. People are, are basing their actions on this. Um, the idea that you're going to have to switch gears and and and, uh, and it make a 180 degree um, uh, flip on how you interpret existing rules that in and of itself should be unacceptable, I would argue. Um, but to go back to your CDC reference, that's absolutely right. A lot of the response to that from people who favored the face mask rules uh, were about public health issues. But for the courts, that only comes secondarily. The first question is, did the agency have the authority to even touch on this? And that judge ruled that no, this is beyond the city's authority. So it doesn't matter if it was a good idea from a public health perspective or not, because the CDC doesn't have the authority to do that. And we get back to here, and, and the ATF is going to be challenged on, does it have the authority to do this? And then if the courts say, well, it might have the authority, then they're going to have to look at, well, is the rule you know, comprehensible by anybody to whom it applies? You can't just issue gibberish and then apply it as you wish based upon you know, your feels and, uh, and, you know, and tea leaf reading. Um, it's right. got to be something that, that the public can read and say, okay, now I know what I can do that's legal and what would be beyond that line. Um, if you can't have that then I would suspect the courts are going to look at this askance and have a real problem with the, these kind of reinterpretations of the rules. Okay, this is, of course, from the same organization and, uh, uh, and department that once classified a piece of string as a machine gun. So we understand that, necess- that they don't necessarily have consistency or clarity of thought in those instances as well. Um, we're going to get back into this here in just a second with J.D. Uh, Tuchilli from Reason Magazine. Uh, we're going to continue and drill down into this a little bit more. Uh, I think there are some interesting points on this, and uh, we're going to find out more about that here shortly with J.D. Tuchilli. Again, you could find out what he writes over at Reason.com. I have posted this story up in the chat room if you want to join us at facebook.com slash michael duke show you can go over there and take a look at the uh, link that i've just dropped in the chat room right now all right we're going to be back with more and jd2 chili right after these messages don't go anywhere Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, we're in the break right now. J.D. Tuchilli is our guest. Um, I mean... (laughs) I don't know how much you've gone back into the history of the uh, ATF and some of their rulings on this, uh, uh, J.D., but, um, I mean, literally back in the uh, late 90s, they literally classified a piece of string as a machine gun at one point through a determination letter. Um, I mean, th- th- these these guys, they just, they, they don't, you know, there's no consistency in what's going on. You send something to the firearms branch of the ATF for determination and you could get three different answers back from three different places. It's it's like there's no real true guide stone for these folks to work off of. There's no real guide stone, and they also tend not to be bound by their own rules. Uh, the IRS is obviously notorious about that. They explicitly say that you can call them and get advice, but they won't be bound by what the advice that they themselves gave you, which is just ridiculous. Right. And the problem with a lot of this is that when it comes down to regulators in the field, um, you know, people who are on the ground working, whether it's the ATF or you know the EPA or whoever it is, tend to be true believers in that mission. And if, you know, and if they're not true believers in the militia in the mission, they certainly are true believers in expanding their own pow- power, their own scope, and their own relevance to the world. Which means that ultimately, what they would love 
is to just be able to do what they want to do um, because they're the experts in the field and uh, they want to be able to function upon I know it when I see it. Except you can't have a free society that comes anywhere near that. It's got to be you know, known rules, understandable rules that are written down, whether or not they're good ideas. I mean, that's, that's, that, that's the next level. But, they, even, but whether or not the rules are good ones, you've got to be able to understand them. They have to be written down and they have to be fixed. Um, and they hate that because it means you can work right up to that edge and not go over it. And that really ticks them off. Right, giving them free reign to run, and we've seen that in some cases um, over the years talking with uh, talking with different folks in the industry, especially some of the FFLs who've seen some of the arbitrary and capricious behavior of ATF investigative and field agents who come into their place and and uh, you know grind them out over somebody uh, writing Y and N in a form instead of yes or no and and uh, and getting busted, being okay with that, and then all of a sudden it's not okay, and then it is okay, and Again, uh, the kind of this whiplash of playing with these people's livelihood, because many places, you know, they've invested hundreds of thousands of dollars in inventory and stock and all this stuff, and now you're threatening their livelihood uh, because you're putting their license at risk over something as simple as, again, abbreviating something or putting a, you know, not not spelling out the word yes or no fully. It's it's a, it's a crazy thing. Well, it's petty, and and the reason they do it, of course, is that if you create a trip, you know, a, you know, just kind of a field of tripwires you know that everybody is in violation of something if you want to go after them. And so that if somebody, you know, really gets into your, into your crosshairs, um, you, if you go and you investigate them, the ATF and, and any bureaucrat knows they can get them on something. So they make everything arbitrary, they make everything a rule, and they make everything ultimately impossible uh, to comply with within the full measure of the law. The problem is, is that government is not agile. Uh, government is about as agile as the Titanic. Uh, and so as technologies continue to evolve, and part of this ghost gunner thing, of course, comes from the uh, the fact of that, you know, I mean, Cody Wilson, you mentioned him, he's up on the, on the forefront of this with first the 3D printers and now the desktop CNC machines. And you're, and, and, and you're seeing it's really raised some angst among the anti-gunner crowd that people will just be printing out guns or, you know, CNCing and doing things that they were doing anyway. It just makes it easier. And it, and it basically, uh, you know, is creating kind of, like you said, a user market, a maker, a maker market. And that seems to really frighten people. It does frighten them. I mean, there's something about uh, firearms that's totemic. And I, and I think that every political movement that has a kind of a period and strain to it has a couple of totemic things that just frighten them. And, and uh, on the left is guns and on the right it's abortion. Um, and anything that makes it easy for people to act in these areas beyond the reach of the law, beyond restrictions or prohibitions, um, just outrages them. Um, and, of course, we've always been able to make our own firearms. I, I had an uncle, actually, uh, when I was a kid. Um, and I referenced it when I wrote about making building an AR-15 with my son. And he used to build um, rifles from scratch. Uh, and that was his hobby. But these days it is easier. I mean, you can take a CNC machine or a 3D printer and people are knocking out semi-automatic weapons. Well, knocking out. There's a lot more, obviously. Right. <laughs> but, but they're manufacturing at home with uh, some skills and some parts assembled, uh, semi-automatic weapons, revolvers, and such, uh, beyond the reach of the law and beyond even the possible reach of the law. Because ultimately, if you can make a mechanical device, and we can, people tinker in their homes all the time, you can make a firearm, which is just one type of mechanical device. Right. You can walk into a hardware store, and in 10 minutes, I could have the bits and pieces to cons- to construct a simple firearm 
Uh, maybe it's a single shot, but it's simple, it's easy, and I could buy it just, you know, with probably 30 or 40 bucks, I could buy all the parts in a hardware store and make it work. Um, but that's that 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 kind of freaks people out in the overall. And I, I, I think that that's, I personally think that that's sad. Uh, and now that we're getting into this whole new thing of, uh, of printing and everything else, we should talk about that here real quick before we get into the regulations, because I think it's, I mean, I think that's a fascinating area and it's important, but it also feeds right back into this idea of how easy it is. And you just mentioned that we're going to get back into this. J.D. Tuchilli, our guest, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. All right, we're continuing now. J.D. Tuchilli, contributing editor for Reason Magazine. You can find him over at Reason.com. He's got this recent article up about the ATF and the new regs, which are, in his own words, clear as mud. Um, but I want to talk just for a second before we jump into the regs themselves. We, we were just talking during the break about some of the impetus for this. And, and it all comes from fear, right? It all comes from fear because the makerspace has uh, really exploded in the last five years. The advent of... Uh, of 3D printing um, has contributed to it and more advanced technology like desktop CNC machines and more. Uh, I mean, people have been able to make firearms and have been making firearms, uh, home-built firearms, for years and years and years. Uh, but this advent of the 3D printing and everything else has really kind of uh, raised people's, uh, you know, raised the awareness of it and made the space larger because it, it has become easier in one way. Um, but at the same time, I mean, I have to laugh every time they say, well, you know, you could take one of these 80% receivers and in 30 minutes, you could have yourself a working gun. That's not a gun that I would want to fire. First of all, if you made it in 30 minutes, that, that concerns me. I mean, all the 3d printing, we're talking about hours and hours and hours of printing things out and finishing them and doing everything else, let alone, uh, the, uh, the, the work and pressing and milling that you have to do on a, on an aluminum or a polymer 80% receiver. Um, but this whole thing is basically, again, the agility of the government to be able to adapt to technology is not uh, is not great. And this just this might be a way to catch up and, of course, deal with that fear. Oh, absolutely it is. Um, I mean, we're seeing with – first of all, people have always been handy and have always been able to do things at home in home workshops. We've kind of celebrated that, the home tinkerer who starts a business or repairs his motors and everything else, but the same skill set that allows you to create a, uh, you know, a new of toaster or to repair your car can be applied to doing anything mechanical, and right. firearms are just mechanical devices. So as we uh, move further and further in a direction that enables people to do things in a decentralized way with, um, you know, with mechanical devices, and we're seeing with 3D printers and CNC machines, it's kind of awesome when you've got, uh, say, an oil platform or a mining camp that can make spare parts um, on site because they keep some, uh, you know, some basic blocks of aluminum or, or, or polymer and can knock them out without waiting weeks for something to be delivered from, uh, you know, halfway across the planet. Right. But that same device obviously can be used for making any kind of mechanical part, and that includes the components for firearms. Right. And there is no way from getting away from, from you know, you can't get away from the fact that enabling people in any area of life enables them in ways that some people don't approve of. Right. You, you can't parse it in between what you like and what you don't like. If you empower people, 
you empower them. And they take that and they run with it as they please. You know, and part of the problem is the disinformation. I just mentioned the whole 30-minute window, which has been repeated by everybody, right? Oh, you can do it in 30 minutes, Um, which we know. Anybody who actually knows knows that that's completely and totally false. The second thing is is that classifying ghost guns as only guns that lack a serial number or things like that. I mean, when you create a gun, when you build a gun on the form and you're, you're doing like a Form 1 gun or something like that in a state, you are supposed to put a maker's mark on it. You're supposed to put some kind of marking on it. And generally speaking, you're supposed to market not for, you know, not for sale. And you you own that gun. You can never sell it. That's what the law is. You can make all the guns you want. You just can't sell it. You're not supposed to, to send it across state lines to somebody else or anything. I mean, there are already rules in place, but they keep treating it like it's this epidemic. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you want to sell your DIY firearm, you can. But as you said, you got to market. You have to put a serial number on it. That already exists as a rule. The problem from the government's perspective is that it's impossible to fully apply rules across a population, especially when there are people who disagree with those rules or just scoff at rules in general. The criminal class will never be brought under the umbrella right. of rules because, by definition, they don't follow them. But then you've got people who are just opposed to the rules and are skeptical of government control, and they're like, forget about it. You don't have the enforcement of power anyway, and they don't. I mean, you cannot reach. It's not a totalitarian society. And even the Soviet Union at its height couldn't reach into everybody's lives. So um, they'll never have full authority. And I think there's just, there's a lot of people um, who work in government who kind of chafe at that. There's also a lot of fantasists out there who envision the perfect society if just the right laws are passed and kind of refuse to accept the fact that enforcement will maybe catch a small percentage of, of uh, people who break the rules, but most people are never caught. Right. Well, and again, as you mentioned, I mean, you're, you're singing the, the song of my tribe, which is criminals, by their very definition, break the law. So you can make as many laws as you want, and it doesn't really matter. These people have already decided to break with societal norms, and they just don't care. Yet every one of these, and now this is where we get into the actual details of these ATF rules, every one of these really only applies in, in the main and in the, you know probably 99.9% of the time, this only applies to lawful, law-abiding citizens. They're the only ones who are going to abide by this. They're the only ones that are going to do it. And some of these things are pretty crazy. As you said, there's some question as to whether it really applies to 80% kits or not, because in the language it says, well, you know, 80% kits are, are still okay. The final rule bans the business of manufacturing the most accessible ghost guns. But then it goes on to talk about things like, you can keep a partially complete frame or receiver, but if you have it dimpled or drilled or you have a tool with it, I mean, it becomes a whole new thing. And it's not just the marking of the partially finished receiver. They explicitly say in the rules they're going to look at the totality of the circumstances. If it's readily convertible and included in that is do you offer instructions? Uh, do you offer jigs? Do you offer tools? Um, and by that uh, what's that totality mean? There's a lot right. of tea leaf reading in that. Right. And so the industry is trying to figure out now, having talked to people, um, does that mean I can sell the unfinished receivers, but I got to um, repackage the uh, the instructions? And 80% Arms is actually reworking their instructions right now. Maybe, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. Maybe they'll offer them, for, offer them through uh, another website. 
Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you create another corporate entity and they offer the tools and the jigs, does that keep you okay if the if the receivers right. themselves are offered a different? I mean, right. it just gets it's a ridiculous level right. um, of tea leaf reading. Well, exactly. I mean, if I buy an eighty percent receiver, I mean, they usually when they have a kit, right? They sell you the eighty percent receiver, the jig, maybe a few tools. It's dimpled and marked as to where you need to drill and hog things out and do all that. But now, do I need to sell the eighty percent? And then I, you can go to another page and you can buy, but you can't buy them in the same shopping cart, but maybe you can buy them in two separate transactions. Or as you said, do I have to create a whole nother company that sells just the tools, the jigs, the instructions? I mean, it really is nothing more than hoop jumping for law-abiding citizens. Because again, criminals, they don't, I mean, I still remember the story about Australia where, you know, they outlaw all these guns. And yet uh, it was about 10 years ago, the police were going around busting uh, gangs, criminal gangs in Melbourne and Sydney because they were basically taking over whole machine shops and building machine guns. They weren't just building pistols. They were building machine guns in real milling machine shops. Criminals are going to do what they do. This does nothing but harm average law-abiding citizens. Oh, that's absolutely right. And actually, the Australian situation, which is mirrored in Brazil, by the way, is, uh, is case in point. It's a lot of times, people don't realize that among the, the easiest firearms to manufacture at a machine shop is a submachine gun. Uh, because the design of it, especially if you take some of the World War II designs, which were created deliberately, made in the, in the simplest shops around right. the world, um, those designs are pretty easy to replicate. Right. Uh, and they're being knocking them out in Australia. It's, it's in, they call them the bikey gangs. It's biker gangs that dominate organized crime in Australia. And you have organized crime in Brazil. They do the same thing. They've got these proprietary designs for submachine guns. So that's what you wind up with if you, if you drive everybody underground, is they make their own guns, and a lot of them are submachine guns. But um, this packaging, you know, this totality of circumstances, you try to figure this stuff out. And at the end of the day, it's only the people who care to jump through the red tape and figure it all out to whom this will apply. Your right. criminal class will not abide by it when they and there are surveys of them. They actually know where they get their guns. They buy them mostly on the black market through casual acquaintances who don't have criminal records who can pick them up for them or who have stolen firearms and sell them. Or I mean, if if you want to add in there, you know, DIY manufactured firearms and machine shops, what are you going to do? Ban machine shops? I mean, right. that's obviously an impossibility. So at the end of the day, you can make as many rules as you want to. But you make life difficult only for those who care to even try to comply. It doesn't go further than that. Well, in the whole totality situation where it has to look at the totality of circumstances, that's so arbitrary and capricious. I mean, you have an ATF agent who's having a bad day or doesn't like the cut of your jib, and all of a sudden the totality of circumstances changes, right? I mean, it, Oh, absolutely, it, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm sure that they deliberately keep it vague. Exactly for that. Now, they have to know at some level. I'm sure there's internal lawyers saying, I don't think that's going to stand up in court. But they'll try because the, the institution will still be there when the courts shake out what, the, what they're allowed to do. So they, so they shoot for the stars. They say the totality of circumstances, which comes down to, as you just say, the mood of the agent at the moment and how he feels about the person he's talking to across the desk. And if he got some lip back, um, the totality of circumstances is going to be, well, I can walk down the street and buy a book that says how to do it, and you've got these parts, so that's a machine gun. That's right. ridiculous. Exactly. And that, that's, what they, that's the situation they want, but that's, that's not what they should be allowed to do. Uh, one, of the under, one of the things that's uh, it's mentioned, and but I don't think it's gotten nearly enough press, is that the final one of the thing of the rule is that, uh, which is going to take effect 120 days after it was published, which was, I think, Wednesday or Tuesday, um, but the uh, the biggest thing I think that's kind of not been talked about enough 
is that uh, now gun dealers, FFLs, are going to be required, instead of retaining the book um, and the transactional records of the 4472s for 20 years, which is what their current law is, if you buy a gun, the FFL has to hold on to that for 20 years before disposing of it. Now they're going to make it requirement that they keep it forever. Um, and and that is the, the, I mean, that's a huge privacy thing. And of course, it basically comes down to a de facto registry at that point. It does. It, it turns it into a de facto registry, although it's still, for that 20 years, it's still on paper, distributed in gun shops around the country. And since in most places, private party sales uh, remain legal, it's a, a decreasingly accurate registry over that time. But obviously what they want is a registry of firearms. They're not allowed to do that. And so they're finding these kludgy bureaucratic workarounds, which ultimately are pain in the butt for FFLs because you got these paper records taking up storage and they got to rent a unit. And God forbid there's a fire, right? Because now you got to right. explain that to the ATF. Right, exactly. Um, but uh, that's what they're shooting for in the end, even though after 20 years, uh, the chances that you could actually take those, those records and do anything of value with them is pretty minimal. Uh, J.D. Tuchelli, a contributing editor of Reason Magazine. My friend, thank you so much for coming on board and, and trying to demystify this for us. I don't know if we're any clearer, but I appreciate your efforts on this. Thanks so much for calling in. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hold on one second here before you go. All right, folks, out of time. Hour two, dead ahead. Open line, Q&A, up next. That's the that's the worst part of this whole thing, JD. Is that we know that you know having those records at an FFL for twenty years even is <clears throat> is a challenge. It doesn't do anything for private sales, uh, but this you know we, they've already been caught a couple times being dinged by retaining Nick's records and yeah. and other things um, in violation of of, uh, of federal law. Um, and it just seems like every time they go around, this is just one other workaround to try and make sure that they can keep track of everything, which is government's want anyway. Yeah, they're addicted to the idea of keeping records, even when the records are utterly pointless and mostly unreliable and useless at the end of that time, because there's no requirement you keep them updated. They just get they just get older and older and less and less accurate as time goes on. Yeah, and and I think that the the, the biggest problem the biggest problem here is that technology. Well, it's not a problem, but the the root cause of all this is technology is moving much much faster than uh, regulatory schemes can uh, can manage. And that gives a lot of the government, uh, uh, you know, worker bees, a lot of angst. And this is one way of pushing back on that. But I think that, you know, we've just got to maintain it. And I'm going to be watching these court cases. Um, I mean, I know it's going to go into effect 120 days. I imagine that there's going to be a stay at some point before that goes into effect, because there are a lot of people who are upset about this. There's going to be a flurry of lawsuits, and I've got to imagine somebody's going to find a judge who says this is ridiculous, and they're going to stay the application of the rules until it works its way through its court, through the courts. We're still going to be talking about this rule change uh, probably two, three, five years from now, um, unless it gets reversed, and then you know it'll be another flurry of lawsuits, whatever the new rules are then. Right, exactly. Well, I really appreciate the work that you did on this and reporting on this, and I hope uh, I hope you and your fellow cohort there at Reason. Stay on top of this um, and uh, and keep us in the loop because uh, you know this is the one this is the one right that allows all the other rights to exist and uh, I get really concerned when I see them uh, attempting to hit us this close to home uh, so to speak uh, as home built guns um, and I'm I'm really worried about that so I hope you guys stay on top of this. We absolutely will and I imagine we'll be talking about this uh, in the future. My friend, thank you so much. I hope you have a great weekend. Thanks uh, thanks for uh, coming on at such short notice. I really appreciate it. 
No problem at all. You take care. Thank, Thank you. J.D. Tuchilli, our guest from Reason Magazine. Good stuff there. Oh, hey, look, the music's still playing. All right. Um, <clears throat> top of the hour. What do we got here? All four lines are open. So we're gonna oh we're gonna open that up here. Let me go back here to see what some of the stuff in the chat room we're talking about. Um, if any politician makes a decision, it's much harder to change their mind. Uh, oh, talking about uh, this was I saw somebody say something about this. What was it? Laura was talking about how somebody spread rumors about baggage. Did you watch baggage yesterday? I did, but I also asked who he supported. Apparently, that's a question I shouldn't have asked. I got a nobody. I'm a nobody that got PM yesterday and scolded for putting him in an uncomfortable spot. Um, <clears throat> that's on me. That's not on you, Laura. Um, I'm the one that put him in the uncomfortable spot. I think it's, uh, you know, and I think he did a good job of, de- of defending it. He didn't necessarily want to endorse, but he could wholeheartedly say he was not going to support Lisa. I think that was pretty clear. I mean, it's a nuanced answer, but I think it was pretty clear. Um, um it concerns me that he will not commit to saying who he does support. I can understand him not actually coming out and supporting anybody at that point, but saying that he obviously, obviously will not stand for Murkowski is, I think, a clarification enough. There's going to be more people in that race. Um, and uh, he said it pretty clearly. I mean, he said it without really saying it, right? Well, the Republican Party endorsed me and the Republican Party endorsed Chewbacca. I mean, that's I, – I think people sometimes read into things a lot further than they than than is needed and i know sometimes somebody wants a real cut and dried answer but sometimes it just doesn't it just doesn't happen um reality washington state has been passing restrictive firearms policy and it has given the atf the go ahead to push the boundaries well that's true um but also we know that the compliance in washington state for a lot of these laws is very low very very low Um, availability of ammunition is nuts. Yep. I mean, that's been a continuing problem for the last 10 years. Um, Chuck says, I don't think it ever stopped. I can't buy 22 long rifle anywhere and haven't had for some time now. Um, yeah, I mean, ammunition is becoming more and more difficult to, uh, to do. Uh, the homebrewed Danago guns of the Philippines, much like the Pakistani merchants who taught themselves how to build Kalashnikov pattern rifles. Gunsmiths working out of home workshops in the Danao region of the Philippines construct weapons by hand with metal scavenged or brought from local junkyards. Uh, such weapons are also referred to as paltik, meaning copied or not quite reliable. Despite the derogatory terms, many of these DIY guns are pretty impressive. They may be a far cry from mil spec. Uh, reports say that these guns will give the name brands a run for their money from Enforce to 1911s to Uzi submachine guns to Danao gunsmiths had not only been copying existing weapons for decades, but innovating as well. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's, again, that's the thing. Uh, I mean, I've seen an AK-47 be built out of a snow shovel. No kidding. I mean, a snow shovel. That's They built the frame and receiver out of an old snow shovel. It's pretty impressive. It really is. Um, and as uh, J.D. talked about, some of the earlier designs, especially the World War II designs for submachine guns, the grease gun, the Sten, some of these other ones. I mean, these are simply pressed, stamped steel parts. There's nothing super. Uh, there's nothing super uh, high speed. These are not precision milled machines. They are what they are. Uh, the Mac Ten again, stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's 
again, you push people into a corner, and as he said, the bikey gangs in in the Australia are a prime example. You push them in the corner where the there's you know all the guns are bad and everything else. Well, if you're in for a penny, in for a pound, would you rather have a machine gun or a or a or a single shot at that point? If you're gonna you're gonna be burned one way or the other, you're gonna go for the full meal deal and just go ahead and get the machine gun at that point. All right, uh, we got to go here. Uh, we're jumping back into it. Uh, we're gonna open up the phone lines and take some calls, do a little gun Q and A. Willie waffles at the bottom of the hour. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Hey, like and share this thing, will you? Like and share. Follow the show page. Let's go. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. The Michael Duke Show. I have two guns, one for each of you. Firearms Friday. As Thomas Jefferson stated, it is the right and duty of the people to be at all times armed. To be at all times armed. Say hello to my little friend! I say that the Second Amendment is, in order of importance, the First Amendment. The right to keep and bear arms is the one right that allows rights to exist at all. Michael Show. The right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Not be infringed. Firearms. From my cold, dead hands. Friday. Take my rifle, this is my gun. This is for my this is for Firearms Friday. Oh, baby. Firearms Friday. Your chance to sound off on issues of a Second Amendment nature right here on the Michael Duke Show. Broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or translator and around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeShow.com, where you can find the podcast, the live stream and more. Also simulcasting on Facebook, YouTube and Twitch (laughs) for as long as they allow me to. (laughs) I was surprised I didn't get banned yesterday for the whole (laughs) for the whole discussion yesterday. On YouTube. I mean, it wasn't my, you know, thoughts and opinions uh, of this program are not the hosts sometimes. You know what I mean? Callers do not express my my opinions sometimes. Uh, but I'll still get blamed. That'll be, the, that'll be the bottom line when it's all said and done. That's how we got the ban from YouTube the other day was when we had David Codry on the program. Um, anyway, um, we're going to dive into it today. Uh, we just finished up with JD Tuchelli from Reason Magazine. It was a great discussion. If you missed it, you can go back and uh, you can go back and watch it on YouTube or Facebook, or you can listen to it on the podcast. It was a good discussion on the new ATF rules, uh, which um, I think is an important discussion to say the least. Uh, meanwhile, we're going to open up the lines here in hour two uh, for what we like to call Gun Q and A. Gun Q&A, which is questions and answers, obviously. The rule about gun Q&A is that there is no such thing as a dumb gun question. You want to ask this morning, you want to talk about something that's related to firearms, we will discuss it. And uh, I would love to hear what you have to say uh, on all the topics that we are working on uh, today today. 
So feel free to give us a call. The phone lines are now open. The Pivotel call in line at 433-3150-433-3150. And uh, you can call in and ask or talk about anything you want. We had a bunch of callers in last hour while we still had uh, JD on. Uh, but they basically have uh, they basically moved on. So, but if you feel like you want to call in and ask some questions about firearms or make a comment about guns or tra- or tactics or anything else, I would love to hear what you guys have to say uh, on that uh, as well. Somebody in the chat room, <clears throat> uh, Sean in the chat room, uh, put together a little thing in here talking about the uh, Dinao guns of the Philippines, where. Filipino merchants have basically learned how to reconstruct or to replicate a lot of firearms with metal scavenged or bought from local junkyards. Um, and we've seen that over the years. Uh, I was just mentioning that I saw a, uh, a few years ago before YouTube got really, really restrictive on gun videos. There used to be a gun video of a guy building an AK-47 out of a snow shovel. Um, and, uh, that, you know, it doesn't require, you know, a lot of times it doesn't require a high speed machine shop and a, you know, intimate knowledge of CNC machining or anything else. Sometimes a simple stamp steel and JD Tuchilli actually talked about this. Some of the world war two era designs for submachine guns, like, uh, grease guns and stens and things like that. The liberator pistol, the original liberator pistol, um, and, and many of these other things, um, are simply Stamp steel. I mean, they're easily they're easily made. They're not complex. They're not complicated, um, and uh, they're pretty easy to do. So all this hullabaloo from the ATF seems a little ridiculous on the surface of it. And at some point, if people just get sick and tired of uh, trying to obey, you know, ridiculous laws, and that's the that's the problem when we start to get laws for everything and ridiculousness. We've talked about this in the past. The danger of an Irish democracy. Uh, when you make laws that are so ridiculous and so over overbearing and overarching, um, you know the compliance rate will drop. We saw this again with the New York Safe Act. We saw it in Connecticut with their assault weapons ban. Jeannie's been in the chat room talking about how Washington is one of the most restrictive states recently, passing you know like uh, private sale rec- background checks and all you know magazine. And yet the compliance rate in all of these states is in the single digits, and in some cases near zero. And the politicians are really running themselves to the point of where, you know, I mean, this really goes back to the old axiom where it talk, talks about, you know, when guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have guns because you will either have forced just the criminal class to participate or you will make law-abiding citizens outlaws because they will ignore the, they were, they will ignore the law because it's a bad law. And that's kind of, I think, where we're starting to reach in parts of this parts of this country where you see this kind of stuff. I mean, every one of those people in New York or Connecticut or Washington who are not complying are technically outlaws. But they also understand that it's a bad law. So it's, um, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty crazy. It is, uh, it is pretty crazy for sure. Um, Anyway, so we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. If you'd like to call in this morning, we've got all four lines open, and uh, we could talk about anything that you want to talk about uh, as far as uh, gun, guns, ownerships, tips, tricks, tactics, range reports, whatever you want to talk about. Um, There was an interesting study. Um, There's an interesting study that came out here recently, Boston University, 
put it out, and it comes uh, it's taken from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. And uh, the headline of the study is, I'm sure, alarming to many people. The new study claims that the number of teens who are toting guns around has spiked dramatically in the past few years, up 41% between 2002 and 2019. And I took their data again from the National Survey on Drug Use and Health, and it shows that who is carrying the gun has changed over that time frame as well. It seems like higher income and white teenagers are now, now more likely to carry a gun than uh, minorities, uh, ethnicities, black, Native American, and low-income teens are less likely to carry. So when you read that headline, it's 41% increase. My, whoa. But wait, there's more. If you look at the data in a much deeper light, um, first of all, you realize that the overall numbers of teens who are carrying is pretty darn low. Um, it, when, when, when authors of surveys and datas and reports like this look at it, they sometimes simply highlight the, the figures that are the most alarming. A deeper dive into the survey's findings revealed that while the number of teens who are self-reporting, because this is a self-reporting thing, that they're carrying guns has indeed gone up over the past 20 years, the overall numbers themselves are pretty darn small. In fact, carriage increased by 41% over cohorts, which means that it increased from 3.3% of teens carrying guns at some time in the recent past to 4.6% of all teens carrying guns. That's the 41%. So only 4.6% of people are carrying guns in the past. But 41% carrying guns sounds a lot scarier. 41% increase in teens carrying guns sounds a lot scarier than 4.6% of teens admit to carrying a gun at least occasionally. But yet, both of those came from the same study. And they, and they, didn't, they didn't invert that either and just say 95% of teeners do not carry a gun around. But uh, Tom Knighton over at, uh, or Cam Edwards over at BearingArms.com makes an interesting point here. He said, look, in that same study, you can drill down into some of these things and you could see that the, uh, according to the, the authors, uh, at the same time, the study found that 5.5% of 17-year-olds say they've misused prescription opioids over the last year. So you've got a, you know, 4.5% of 16 to 17-year-olds said they've carried a gun in the past, uh, recent past. At the same time, 5.5% say they've misused prescription opioids. And that doesn't include, by the way, non-prescription opioids or heroin or fentanyl or anything, anything purchased on the street. I mean, we've got a, we've got a much larger percentage of adolescents who are out there, you know, uh, uh, abusing the drugs and everything. I mean, it's, but it, this is the kind of stuff that you see. We have a small but growing number of adolescents who've carried a gun in the last year, but it's a much smaller subset of that population who've actually used a gun to commit a crime. So does it really matter at that point? Uh, again, 4.6% who have carried in the recent past. 
And, of course, criminals are probably not going to admit to what's going on in this. So maybe it's higher. Maybe there's some criminals out there. But I just I find it interesting that, again, they lead on the chin with a headline that gets the most ink. 41% increase in teen gun carrying. But yet it's still four. And they even break it down regionally. That's the other interesting part. They break it down <clears throat> regionally by whether it's rural, whether it's uh, – uh, and they include Alaska natives. So across cohorts, rural um, um, uh, gun carrying is 5.1%. Uh, Alaska Native American Indian, 5.2%. Well, of course, most Alaska natives carry a gun because they live, there's a lot of them that live out in the wilderness where it will kill you. Um, and then they go about through racial diver, uh, uh, income diversity, lower income, less than – it. it they're trying to parse this out, and of course, they always want to paint it as in as bad a light as you can, um, as well. But it, anyway, this is an interesting story. I'll drop the link in the chat room for folks who want to go read the story, and then you can go out there and read the uh, you can go out there and read the, uh, the the original study as well if you really want to. All right. Um, well, I guess we're coming up on the break here. We only got about ninety seconds. I don't want to get into another story. Uh, but I would love to hear from you this morning. If you'd like to sound off, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Feel free to drop us a line, and we will uh, we'll chat with you. We'll chat with you. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. It is Firearms Friday. Back with more right after this. TGIFF. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right. Uh, We are in the break. Lies, damn lies, and statistics, says Rob, out on YouTube. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's... Uh, um, alcohol is abused at a much higher rate than drugs, and we just keep legalizing drugs like in Oregon and Washington. If you aren't aware, you need to watch what is happening in other states and get ahead of it, or the same will happen here. I mean, you're right. Alcohol is much higher uh, abusive rate uh, amongst the general population than most of those drugs. Uh, I don't think you can regulate that kind of human behavior, too. I mean, really. Um, I think people... You know, as long as they're not hurting anybody else. I mean, if they're hurting somebody else, you throw the book at them. But if it's just themselves, that's people are going to be people. That's that's what they're going to do. That's part of the problem. Um, okay. Uh, even getting powder and primer is tough these days, says Brian. Yep. Ammunition available out here in the colonies. Some chicks will have to roll our own if you want to smoke them. <laughs> Ask Ad to Vlanix, Alaska. Ask Vlad to Annex Alaska and open the oil valve. Okay, so I mean Brady's been going on and on about this for the last couple of days. Um, if Vladimir Putin decided he wanted to come to Alaska, it would be just as much of a drawn out bloodbath as it would be in Ukraine. Because I'm telling you what, I have no interest in being part of Russia. I'm happy to be exactly if there was anything to happen, uh, you know, in that kind of way, 
I mean, you know, great opportunity to, to, to declare our own sovereignty and just do what we're going to do. Um, but Vlad being, you know, first of all, annexing, not it, that would not going to happen. They sold it to us fair and square. Second of all, good luck with that. Highest portion of military veterans in the country on a per capita basis. And plus those of us who haven't served are still pretty handy with a gun. So he wants to try and land troops here in a, and first of all, it's, you know, he has to make it from the coast all the way inward. Good luck with that. I don't think, I don't think, uh, I don't think, uh, you know, I don't think Vlad would like the, we'd be a hard pill to swallow. We'd live a bit, we'd leave a bitter taste. Let's just put it that way. Um, and then Sean says, you think Vlad will share the wealth? I'm pretty sure he won't. Yep, I think you're pretty, I think you're 100% right on that. Um, okay, I'm just going backwards here a little bit. The CAD plans for the M4, M16 have been available for years, says Jeannie. Yeah, I mean, the 3D printed plans for a lot of that stuff has been out for years as well. Um, yeah, so. Um, all right, well, let's go over to the phones. we got about a minute and a half here before we rejoin. So let's go over to the phones and see who's uh, on the horn and uh, get their name and where they're calling from. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, good morning, Michael. It's Fred in Rhode Island. How you been? Hello, Mr. Fred. Uh, why don't you hold the line for a second, and I'll be right back to you. You'll be first up in the queue, okay? Thank you. All right. So Fred from Rhode Island will be joining us here in just a hot second, uh, and we will uh, we'll do that. Jimmy says there's no ways their troops would even hit the ground. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, he, you know, he might want to put in at some coastal position, but good luck getting to anywhere where there's any. I mean, it's not like it. It's not like Ukraine where you got roads from one end to the other. There's no roads here. You know, Bill says, wait, maybe Vlad would give us our PFD. Um, I'm I'm betting probably not. I'm I'm betting I'm betting that that's probably a net. Net. <laughs> All right. Um, is there anything else? Crime will increase. Crime will increase. Remember the Fairbanks post office heating oil tank was drained. Might find more vehicle gas tanks drained and drilled. Yeah, as things get tougher, I mean, that kind of stuff is going to happen. And I'm hoping that you are prepared to defend against it. Um, scrolling backwards here. Federal government is turning the innocent into criminals by their lawless edicts. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they are. Uh, again, remember, when guns are outlawed, only outlaws will have guns. Um, David says, ironically, the Russian army would get bogged down on KGB, Connecticut Bay Road. You're probably right. That road is a mess, man. I'll tell you what. <laughs> All right, uh, we're jumping back into it. Here we go. Fred from Rhode Island on the line. Let's do it to it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, uh, welcome back to the program, The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. 
Uh, we're going to be joined by Willie Waffle in about, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes or so. We're going to talk with him about the weekend movies, the entertainment report, and more. I know some of you mentioned that you missed him last week when we didn't have him on the program. I thought it was just for me that uh, that I, you know, but uh, I, uh, I I appreciate you guys missing him as well. So, yeah, he's back this week. We're going to get into this with him, and uh, we're going to talk about all the entertainment news that's fit or unfit to print at that point. So, But first, let's go over to the phones. we got some calls coming in this morning. We start off with our friend Fred over there in the beautiful state of Rhode Island. And uh, we're going to uh, chat with him right now and get his take on everything that's going on for this Firearms Friday. Hey, Fred, what's on your mind, my friend? Hey, good morning, Michael. You know, the, uh, lately it's come up that the U.N. Arms, small arms treaty is, uh, you know, they're kind of rattling that saber again. That's whether or not, uh, you know, the nitwit in charge is going to sign on to it or not. And uh, kind of, you know, I think that should be brought out at some point in time you know, provide a little more information on that as to what it is and what their what their intentions are with right. behind that. As we all, and it's also should be known that China is a huge uh, pusher of the U.S. signing on to this UN, you know, the UN Small Arms Treaty. Right. And uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a it's going to be a real bad news for you know the Second Amendment over here. Right. Well, we you know the Small Arms Treaty, uh, which is about uh, ten years old right now. Um, uh, the, the, uh, it's the arms trade treaty, they call it. Um, and that's the second iteration of it. There was a small arms treaty earlier. One of the big sticking points and one of the reasons why the, uh, United States has never signed on to it is because it's in direct conflict with the constitution. Um, and, uh, it has to be, it has to be approved and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, upheld by, by the Senate. And they understand that there's just, there's n- no way, no way. Uh, that that's going to take place. Now, I find it interesting that they're starting to talk about the Small Arms Treaty um, specifically because of the situation in Ukraine. Uh, I mean, the Ukrainian citizens are fighting back with small arms. Uh, and this would be in direct contravention to what the Small Arms Treaty is trying to do, which is take those weapons out of the hands of private citizens. Um, and, uh, I mean, it, it is a disaster. And it's, it's one of the reasons why we have never... Um, uh, uh, ratified it. Uh, John Kerry, as Secretary of State, signed it, but we have never ratified it as well. Um, and uh, the Trump, in fact, signed a message to the Senate back during his days to task the Senate to discontinue the treaty's ratification process. Um, but yeah, it is. Uh, it definitely is not a good thing for Americans. It's really for the world in general, but for Americans especially. Well, you know, it's amazing that China, you know, being the uh, you know the main cheerleading force behind the, uh, you know, us signing it, you know, the you know United States signing this and signing onto this treaty, because they're kind of scary on their own, like what they you know between everything they're doing, you know, be on the scenes, behind the scenes, you know, against us, and you know, not necessarily in our best interest, and uh, it's something that should be brought out into the light a little more. Maybe you know, you spend a little time research and that and maybe bring it up on one of the shows, you know, as to what's actually going on behind the scenes with this, this small arms treaty that they're trying to dump on, cram down our throats in so many words. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that this, uh, this is really, uh, this is again an end run. I mean, this is an attack. What it really is, in my opinion, it's an attack on national sovereignty. 
Uh, and that's really what a lot of the critics have pointed oh, yeah, out, absolutely. the fact that, you know, this is a this is especially when you can look at it as a direct violation of the uh, direct violation of the U.S. Constitution. There's just there's just no way uh, yeah. that we could sign on to this in any way, shape or form. Well, yeah, I think, you know, once, once the Second Amendment goes down, everything, I mean, everything's going to go down with us, you know. And I think China's going to be you know, one of the, uh, you know, the main cheerleaders and, right. you know, driving that, driving, that, driving that across the line. Right. Well, as Chuck Heston used to say, the Second Amendment is in order of importance the First Amendment. It is the one right that allows all the other rights to exist. If you cannot defend your rights... Uh, your right to free speech, your right to choose your religion, your right not to, you know, illegal search and seizure, the right to not incriminate yourself, all those rights. The only one that defends it is the Second Amendment. And if they try to take that away from people, which they've been trying for years to do so, um, then, uh, you know, then then where is where are your freedoms? Then your freedoms are not granted by a creator. Instead, you're being given permission by the king or the government to do what you want to do. And I think that's the biggest part of the problem here. Absolutely. Well, it kind of goes hand in hand with the rest of the gun control antics that they've been trying to pull off. You know, I mean, they haven't they haven't linked the two directly together, you know, domestic and international. But, you know, you can see that there's a bridge there, you know, maybe a couple of bridges there, you know, between the, the local the local aspects and, you know, what's going on internationally. Right. Pushing for gun control. You look at this. It's just basically the same players. It's just that one, depending on what chair they're sitting in that particular day. Right. But, you know, it's basically it's all, it's, it's all the same end game. I agree. Yeah, I agree. All right, Fred. Hi, Mike. Well, thanks for calling in. Appreciate you being part of it today. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, joining us on Firearms Friday. Uh, that leaves a couple lines uh, open. Let's uh, continue on here, uh, and we will take some more calls. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hi, this is Mike from uh, Delta Junction. Good morning, Mike. What's on your mind, sir? So they're talking about these ghost guns. Mm-hmm. And no serial numbers on them. I bought my first rifle when I was 14, made by a reputable manufacturer, and it has no serial number on it. So now is it classified ghost gun? So you, you bought it from an actual, manufa- like a major gun manufacturer? Uh, no, I bought it from a gun shop back in the day. Oh, that built it? But, that uh, built it? Re- yeah, Remington. No, Remington made it. Remington made it, and it doesn't have a serial number. No, it does not. Huh. Well, that uh, it has a model model number on it, but no serial number. You're sure? No, sir. Yes. Huh. I also have a rifle that was my dad's. That is the same thing, made by Winchester. Well, I mean, depending on the age of the rifle, uh, yeah, I mean, there are certain, you know, the, the, the till the 68 Gun Control Act, they didn't really get down to it. So it was pr- manufactured prior to 68. Uh, that's definitely a possibility. Um, but yeah, any, you know, any major manufacturer today is going to include a serial number. Uh, I'm going to say that, it, you know, if it didn't come with a serial number originally, then no, you're, you know, you're not in danger of owning a ghost gun. And again, it, look... There's nothing saying that you can't build your own firearm and keep it. If you're planning on transferring it, if you're planning on moving out of state with it or something like that, that's when the rules about putting your own serial number on it and doing all that other stuff come into play. But there's nothing saying you can't build uh, some kind of firearm and uh, build it yourself. That's just that's that's not the way of the world, although that's what the anti-gun crowd would like you to think. Uh, you don't have to beg the government's permission to do that kind of stuff. 
Well, I'm just thinking that, you know, if they are going to push that narrative, they can cross uh, another line, you know, even though it was made by a reputable manufacturer that, uh, you know, they could throw it in the same pile. Well, Anything they can do that. Sure. I mean, they may be able to try to make a case out of it, but I think that they would have a, it would be wobbly legal legs to stand on if the, if it wasn't required, if your gun doesn't have a serial number on it, that I'm sure Remington, who's, you know, full of legal beagles and lawyers and everything else, probably did it legally. So I would say that if it wasn't required for when your arm was, when your gun was manufactured, then uh, then that's that's just the way it is. Now, if it had a serial number on it and you defaced it or scratched it off or whatever, that's a whole other deal. But if uh, if it didn't come with it, then uh, I think that they would have a, a pretty hard legal leg to stand on at that point. But you're right. It doesn't mean that they couldn't at least attempt to make the case at that at that time. Well, it was just uh, just a thought, and I thought I'd put it out there. All right. Uh, you know, because they're they're continuing to pull any lever they can, and, and I think we need to push the reset button on the whole mess of them. Well, we definitely need to push back, that's for sure. Thank you, Mike, for your call. I appreciate it. Uh, let's go over here. I think we got time for one more call here before we run out of daylight. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Yeah, Buenos Dias, Michael. It's Brady from Las Vegas. Hello, Brady. What's on your mind? You know, one thing I wanted to bring up, uh, you don't need a bump stock, and uh, – the thing is with, you know, with this hot sunny blitz, you can get this order right in the mail. You don't need an FFL or nothing. You take care of one, uh, two birds with one stone. It's an automatic air rifle. It ships directly in the mail. Only thing is, I, I one thing you cannot let Alec Baldwin nowhere near my hot sunny <laughs> blitz. I actually went out and uh, I think you called last week and talked about the, the hot sunny uh, and I actually went out and did a little research on them and everything else. I mean, pretty cool little rifle. Uh, I mean, definitely not cheap. What a thousand bucks for the Blitz, um, and that's the twenty-two variant. Um, which which one do you have? Do you have the twenty-two or the twenty-five or the thirty caliber? I have the twenty-two and I have the thirty caliber. Okay. Uh, my question is, after watching a lot of the different videos and everything else. Um, is uh, do you, is is there enough knockdown power? The twenty two seemed, uh, quite honestly, it seemed a little underpowered. I mean, I don't know if it would take small game, birds, squirrels, things like that, but uh, the thirty uh, caliber. It takes, uh, huh? uh, it, it takes out coyotes really quick in the desert here. Does it? Does it? And the thirty okay, caliber is it? Yeah, the thirty caliber. Twenty two. Yeah, but does the thirty caliber have 22. enough? Uh, Enough to knock down a larger game, or I mean, is it a is it a yeah. man stopper, or what do you, what do you think? I, I would say the thirty caliber would be up to like a white tailed deer. Okay, um, it's an interesting. Um, I mean, it's an interesting uh, uh, concept, and it's an interesting setup. Um, it looked like it would be for a tremendous amount of fun for just plinking around, uh, especially in your own backyard or whatever. Uh, I love that idea, um, but it's uh, great. I would recommend it, um, but like for you know, right now we're getting into the times where you're going to need a, a lot of ammo on stock and, and something around you. And you know, with these air rifles, if you have a good pump, it almost looks like a tire pump. You can pump these guns up by yourself. It's going to take you a while to pump them up to the pressure, or you get yourself a scuba tank and you have a line out to your fill valve right on your gun, and uh, you can shoot off almost. Uh, 
probably about 500 rounds before you need to refill the tank on the 22. Yeah. But you got to remember in in 0.8 seconds it unloads 21 rounds. Yeah, no, I saw that. It was uh it's pretty crazy. I would like to see some bigger magazines for those. Unfortunately, only 21 rounds or something for the for the 22, which goes in about two and a half seconds. Uh, but anyway, thanks, Brady. Appreciate it. Folks, we're out of time. We gotta go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right. Um, thank you, Brady, uh, for your call on that. Yeah, I'd I'd love to get a hot sunny blitz. Um, I don't know if I want to break off $1,000 for it right now, but uh, definitely kind of a cool setup. But like I said, it needs a much larger magazine. Um, I don't, and I don't know if they would make a larger, because it's, it's a circular disc that fits into the side of the chamber of the, uh, of the air rifle, so it sticks out the side. Um, and, uh, it, you know, I, I would love to see, like, a top feed. Um, what was the old... Uh, trying to think of what the old uh, French machine gun was that had the big platter magazine that sat on the top. The Lewis machine gun. Lewis machine gun. Um, I would love to see something like that where it would be like a hundred round magazine that would fit on the top of the rifle. Although, I guess with optics and everything. But I mean, anyway, I would love to see that versus the little one that goes in the side. But yeah, that Hatsani Bliss is cool. But a thousand bucks. Do I really want to play that much? I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, I think it's a. I think it's a valid question. But it's always good to have a second. Uh, have a second chance. To have a second choice, uh, for sure. Um, so yeah, we. I. I did. I did a little research on that one after last week. I spent. I was part of the Saturday or Sunday. I spent a couple hours. Um, I uh, spent a couple hours uh, uh, reading it and watching it, uh, re- watching videos on it and reading up some of the articles and things like that. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. The Hatsani Blitz. Um, and fast. Oh, baby. Fast. Super fast. Uh, okay. Let me see here what's going on. Um, tanks will have a hard time crossing the Bering Strait. <laughs> Yes, yes, they will. There's no big, yeah. <clears throat> they have those crazy big hovercraft that with landing ramps on front that can be transport tanks. Seen one in Kotzebue, they used to haul in the building materials after the school burned down. Yeah, those are the big uh, landing craft, LCACs, landing craft air cushion, they call them. Uh, the Marines use them for uh, for the landing craft. Uh, they man, they put tanks and APCs and everything else on them. Um, it's the price you pay. Wait a second. It's the price you pay when you want a tax stamp for additional freedoms you should have anyway. Yeah, no, I mean exactly that 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 whole thing. Don't get me started on the whole tax stamp thing. Uh, you know. Um, uh, not sure it would be a playing thing says Jeannie. When I was talking about playing around with a Hatsan Blitz, she says, look at the M3FX air guns. I haven't even heard about this one. Let me see. What is this? This is uh, uh, the M3, the Impact M3. 
modern air gun, a rifle without limits, dual regulators, first regulator pre-produces the air pressure, yada, yada, yada. Where are the specs? Give me the specs. What's the specs? What? Just the facts, man. Uh, 22 caliber. Um, oh, no, these are larger calibers. They do, they, they do 30 cal, 35, 25, 22, uh, 177. Yeah, and it's, see, it's got the same style of magazine. That must be like an industry thing. I, I'm not, I hadn't been familiar with air guns until I took a look at this. Uh, this one seems like it has a larger mag, though. What is it? Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen, six. This must have a thirty-round mag on it. Is that what it is? Um. Uh, yeah, it doesn't say. Anyway, uh, how much is this one, Jeannie? How many? How many? How many uh, dead American presidents? Twenty four hundred bucks. Oof! Good lord. Yeah, I guess that makes the hot sun a absolute steal. Retail suggested retail twenty four ninety nine. Uh, they have another price here twenty one ninety nine. If you go out and buy it there, that's a big. That's some big bucks. No whammies there. You got to really want that. Really, really want that. Um. Okay. I guess that's uh, I guess that's I guess that's it. Check out the Zeus seventy-two caliber air rifle. Oof! Is it okay to ask about a certain moderate model of gun, or is that a bad question? No, ask away, man. Ask away. If I can answer it, I will. We only got about forty-five seconds here, so you got to hurry. But uh, you want to ask about it? Feel free to ask about it. I am happy to oblige at this point. Uh, even if I just have to type the answer back out to you in the chat room, I'm happy to happy to make it happen. Uh, give us a give us a shout. Let's uh, let's get it done. Um, all right, uh, we're getting ready to jump. Sixty nine millimeter Springfield makes a great 1911, and if it's in nine millimeter, still a good gun. That's all I could say. Phone's ringing. Got to go. Here we go. Jumping into it. Well, how you doing? It's uh, Friday and we're ready for the weekend. I know I'm ready for the weekend. Joining me today, of course, as always, except for last week, which was unfortunate. But you know what? We can get caught up. It's uh, Willie. Don't call me William Waffle from WaffleMovies.com. Hello, my friend. How you doing? Oh, I am feeling pretty good. I am excited. Uh, We get to talk about some big big somewhat breaking news. Uh, it, It came out last night. It was announced on the show last night. James Corden is leaving the late, late show. Okay. Who's James Corden? I don't even know what that is. Wow. So right. James Corden, the, the, the British host of the late, late show. Oh, is he the, the guy is he the guy that does the drive around in the car and sing my songs? Yes. Carpool okay. karaoke okay. guy. All right. I know who he is, but I didn't realize that he had his own late night talk show. Yes. That's where the, that's where the carpool karaoke came from, was from the late night show. Oh, we'll see. This is what happens when you have to get up at 3.45 in the morning. You're not watching late, late television. (laughs) 
yeah, not not really uh, not not your thing. I I get it. You know, uh, I used to have to do that that really early wake up. It is painful, but uh, yeah, um, you know he and this is this is very rare. I mean, let's be honest. Um, these these openings do not come available very right. often. And uh, Corden, uh, and when he announced it on the show, it was it was you know it it seemed like. He didn't want to tell us the truth of why he's leaving. Uh, he said that, you know, oh, you know, I really love doing the show, but I never viewed it as like the the last thing I would do in my career. And I want to try some other things. I'm thinking you basically are just getting tired of the show. Yeah. <laughs> wait, and, and wait, that's I not feel a good that, move for him. Wait, I, I don't feel that he, pain. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I but I don't think he understands that all these other opportunities he gets are because he has the show. Right. The the show feeds every other avenue and channel and outlet that he has at this point. Yeah. I mean, you know, he gets in movies because, well, he'll advertise it on the show and people know him from the show. Uh, you, yeah, so I think that's kind of crazy. You know, they could spin off some of the segments on the show into their own kind of game shows that that's always been talked about with carpool karaoke. Well, if you're not doing it on the show you're not producing the next show, are you? Well, and I imagine so he's I, probably I, making some bank on this show too. I imagine those late night talk show hosts, I mean, they're not, they're not pinching pennies. No, they're not. Um, you know, I, you know, Hey, uh, he, if he never worked again, he'd be okay. You know, that's, which is nice. But, uh, I just, I don't know if I value that decision that he's just made. I, I'm kind of questioning it to be honest with you. So who are they talking about having to replace him at this point? Is any, any comment on that well, yet? Nobody yet. I mean, you know, I think uh, right now everybody's kind of in, in, in shock mode, uh, that, you know, he really just signed a one-year extension. The show will end a year from now and, uh, you know, who's going to get it. I think that, you know, th that's going to be maybe the hotter story because let's be honest, it's going to be about more than who should get the show. Uh-oh. You and I both know it. It's going to it's it's going to become the culture wars. Yeah. You know, that's who true. Who gets the host job is going yeah. to be tied up in a lot of other things uh, other yeah. than are they going to be funny? That's true. That's true. We're seeing that in every facet of life these days. It would not surprise me at all. Somebody's going to have to kowtow to the cultural gods to be able to get the nod on that part. Yeah, and you know, hey, with my 12.30 show at night, maybe I uh, I kind of try to score some points. Yeah. Oh, so somebody. If CBS. Right. Moving, moving, moving up, moving up the slot. Is that. And uh, Corden, uh, and when he. Yeah. I mean, you know, he gets in movies because, well, he'll advertise it on the show and people know him from the show. Uh, you, yeah, so I think that's kind of crazy. You know, they could spin off some of the segments on the show into their own kind of game shows that that's always been talked about with carpool karaoke. Well, if you're not doing it on the show, you're not producing the next show, are you? Well, and I imagine so he's I, probably I, making some maybe the hotter story, because let's be honest, it's going to be about more than. <laughs> who should get the show. Uh-oh. Moving up the slot, is that what you're saying? Well, I'm saying, like, you know, who I give the show to, you know, are the ratings going to be that much different? Are the advertising dollars going to be that much different, no matter who it is? Ah, but if I can score some cultural points. Mm, I see what you're saying. Maybe I pick somebody that makes me look good. All right. Well, good for him. I mean, maybe he's just made a decision that money's not that important or more money's not that. I mean, once you have a certain amount of money, do you really need more, I guess, is the question. Um, I'd like to find out. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just thinking, I mean, I'd like to find out where the threshold is on that. But uh, all right. Well, what else is in the uh, what else is in the news uh, this evening? 
Well, you know, there's been a lot of talk this week. Uh, CinemaCon has been taking place uh, out in Vegas. It's it's the annual convention of all the cinema owners and theater owners where they start to get a taste of what amazing offerings the Hollywood studios are bringing to your cinema down the down the street and around the corner. And uh, one of the presentations was with Olivia Wilde, uh, the actress and and the director. She's she's made a new movie starring uh, Harry Styles, who is now her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhat of a a interesting story. Uh, if people follow these things, they know that Olivia Wilde had a very long term relationship with Jason Sudeikis, the comedian, the guy who stars in Ted Lasso, and uh, they had a couple of kids, and now she's uh, with Harry Styles. And uh, so during the presentation, this is awesome. Just just hold on. During the presentation, somebody slid a Manila envelope across the stage to her. Right. And she thought, well, maybe it's somebody who wants to try to give me a script. And she opened it up to find it was legal paperwork being served to her regarding custody of the children with oh. Jason Sudeikis. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. You've been served. Oh, my gosh. It's awesome. And, it, and and my favorite part is Jason Sudeikis is like, hey, man, like, I didn't arrange that. I just hired the company to get her served. I didn't know how they were going to do it. Baloney. Baloney, <laughs> baloney, baloney. You wanted that moment more uh, than any other person on the planet, okay? Uh, <laughs> it's good to see. It's good to see celebrities uh, squirm a little bit. Um, all right. Uh, what else you got on the entertainment report? Oh, well, uh, you know, Wicked. The the big wicked movie based right. on the Broadway musical. Right. Uh, so they made they made a major major announcement this week that uh, the wicked movie is uh, now going to be two wicked movies. Oh yes, baby, we have a chance to cash in. Kaching kaching. <laughs> so now we're gonna have uh... Wicked Part One on you know around Christmas 2024, and then Wicked Part Two. Around Christmas 2025. Sure, we gotta we gotta stretch that dollar, make that thing sing. Oh man, we're gonna. Oh yeah, but here's the thing: I think they really need to rush and make this movie. Uh, you know, so we're we're gonna have uh, Cynthia Erivo as as Alphaba, but playing Glinda is going to be songstress Ariana Grande. Wow, and uh, that's weird. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it: she's 28 right now. She's quickly losing her cuteness. Oh. Like she, they got to get this movie in the can as fast as they can. <laughs> okay, Wicked. That's the that's the the Broadway retelling of the Wicked Witches Witches story from uh from uh, uh Over the Rainbow, right? Yeah, like think of it, think of it as a prequel to The Wizard of Oz, where we learn why the two witches or how they used to be friends and how they used to be close. Mm, okay. All right. Well, uh, we'll be watching for that. Can I throw one of my things in the ring here today for oh, the interview? Please do. Please do. I just happened to see this yesterday. Um, it was a breakdown of. We talked about uh, Morbius the other day, the the Marvel movie about the vampire, the superhero vampire movie. Yes. With Jared Leto, uh, there was a thing going around, and I watched it yesterday. One of the staff, one of the one of the 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 people who worked on the movie. Uh, was saying he got fired from the movie because Jared Leto is so method. Uh, and oh, no. He, he went on to describe the different things that Jared Leto demanded that they do um, around the movie set because he was because he's a vampire, right? Because he's a method actor, so he is a vampire. 
Of course. And, and he went off to list these things, and it was things like he made them all take a three-hour lunch because he would only eat and drink the fresh blood of animals that he had just killed, freshly killed. So he oh, had to go out God. and hunt the animals, and he had to kill them. Um, what was the, the worst one? Uh, oh, one of them was... That's not the worst? No, no, no. They, the other one was they couldn't have any water around him because he knew that they all hated him, and nobody... Some of that could be holy water, and you could kill him with it. Um, and then, But the worst one was that he fully believed that he was a vampire because of his method acting, and so when he went to do hair and makeup, he believed he couldn't see himself in the mirrors or on camera, and so they had to hire somebody to draw his portrait every day oh, to show God. him what he looked like. It took hours for them after he did the makeup to draw this portrait every day they had to do. I mean, it's just, there was, and there was more, there was other ones too, but it was just like, what the actual... Dear God, that is the worst thing I've ever heard. And, and he said the reason he got fired is because at some party or I don't know if it was a rap party or during the thing, he showed up, The this crew member showed up as Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Oh God, that's hilarious! And they—they—he <laughs> said he was triggered. It gave him an HR complaint because of it, and it got him fired. Wait, 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 wait! Leto got the HR complaint against this guy. Against this don't guy, you, and got him fired. Don't you think this really needs to go the other way around? Oh my lord! <laughs> I mean, what director looks this guy in the eye and go, "Okay, Jared, we'll get a we'll get an artist in here to paint your portrait every day, so you can know what you look like." I yeah, mean, boy, that was worth it, huh? <sighs> Man, this is the entertainment news. I we I don't know how far we fall. All right, let's get into the streams of the movies or whatever you got right. in front of me. I don't have the list in front of me, so tell me what are we talking about this morning? Well, you know we've got uh, we've got one Netflix movie, one movie in theaters, and uh, let's start with the one that I'm actually the most excited about. It is on Paramount Plus. It is their new mini series, The Offer. It is the story behind the making of The Godfather. No kidding. That's cool. No, and it's it's great. And and the thing that you gotta realize, I mean, you know, I've I've read about the making of The Godfather in the past and, and, and all the drama and, and all the, the high stakes. And this is an amazing story. This is a story you need to see. And to see it on Paramount Plus and brought to life is 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 very interesting. And so far, I mean, I've really only had the chance to see the first episode. They're they're kind of being a little stingy with it, but it's been worth it because you're 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 not you're you're really truly seeing kind of from the ground up, like you know how they got the book, you know Mario Puzo's uh, life and and what was going on before the book became famous and before the the movie studio wanted to get it. You're seeing the story of of Albert Ruddy, who you know is is nobody in Hollywood at that point. Now you know he's he's one of the most legendary producers ever. Uh, but you're seeing him hustling and trying to trying to cut the deal, trying to convince the studio Paramount to make the movie. Right. And, and the person who really is the star of this, I mean, to, you know, in, in title, Miles Teller playing Art Art uh, Art Ruddy is is the is the star. But the real star is Matthew Good playing Robert Evans, uh, who was the head of Paramount at the time. If if you know anything about Robert Evans, he is like the classic, over-the-top, crazy Hollywood producer. And Matthew Good is amazing, just bringing <laughs> this crazy character to life. It's one of the funnest things you're going to watch. So this is like the dramatized version or uh, rendition of what it took to bring The Godfather to the big screen. Yeah, and we haven't even talked about how the mafia was angry about it, and they're trying to stop it. Oh wow! Okay, so it gets <laughs> deeper from there. Okay, it, right. yeah, yeah, that that's also in the show. <laughs> the offer. All right, on Hulu, negative one to four waffles. Where do you go? 
Right now, I'm at three and a half. I am really enjoying it. Oh. Really, really enjoying it. Okay. And what about theaters today? Well, in theaters, we have Liam Neeson. In what? What? Can I call it just Taken Part Fifty Five? Is that what it I is? Mean, it's just another. Well, it's a Taken. It, it's just a different name, but it's the same same thing. Isn't every Liam Neeson t- movie Taken at this point? But he disagrees with the fact that they're asking him to kill a 13-year-old kid. And we find out why. And he finds out why. And now he's trying to stop the bad guys while the FBI is also on his tail. Right. Okay. So this is the same guy, of course, that said Americans don't deserve to have uh, gun rights and everything else. Meanwhile, he shoots up 57 people in a movie, calls it entertainment, and then says, hey, that's, you know, it's okay because I'm an actor. Right. That's the guy. <laughs> yeah, this is the guy. This is the guy. Uh, I'll be honest. I enjoyed the Taken movies. I enjoyed some of his acting early on. But when he got mouthy about that kind of stuff, you're dead to me. You know what I mean? It's just like, dude, you, you want me to come to your movie and yet you will lip off about all this stuff that you know. Not, you're not even an American citizen and you're lipping off about it. And I'm just like, shut your pie hole and just take your winnings from the box office and go home. Well, it is hypocritical. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm going to glorify the violence in this movie to make money from you, but I'm going to stop you, who's an honest, law-abiding citizen, from owning a gun. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, no, that's absolutely. That's kind of crazy. Liam Neeson is, is a very strong leading actor, and, uh, you know, he adds some nuance to the role that clearly isn't there, but everything else about it is, is just very two-dimensional, very, very just kind of stiff. I mean, none of the other cast members are really all that great, outside of maybe Guy Pierce, who's playing the FBI agent, who's who's probably one of the great underappreciated actors yeah. in the business right now. I, I'm going to go like one and a half waffles for memory. <laughs> Okay, well, I've already forgotten about it. It's a memory already. Willie Waffle, wafflemovies.com. My friend, thank you for coming on board today. I really appreciate you being part of it. Hey, next week we talk about Doctor Strange. I can't wait for that, my friends. I watched I watched uh, Spider-Man last weekend. What an amazing flick. Okay, folks, we're out of time. we got to go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Have a great weekend. Let me just say, uh, I watched the Spider-Man No Way Home this weekend, uh, this last weekend, and what an amazing flick. Uh, It is amazing. It was one of my favorite movies of the year. It was just so good, and I don't want to spoil anything. It's so good and so poignant and so, oh, I mean, by the time you're done, my wife is like, why did I just watch that? Oh, it's so good, but oh. And uh, but yeah, what a what a uh, what a piece of art. Uh, I mean, somebody outside of actual Marvel Studios actually doing a good superhero movie. It's just so rare. But with Spider-Man and Tom Holland, it just seems to be the magic touch. Every one of the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies has been amazing. Yeah, they have. And, and I think that, you know, and Spider-Man and, and all these Marvel movies, I think that what they do is is they find that great formula and i don't say that in in a pejorative way but you know the idea that i have lead characters that i care about they're good people i root for them they're in danger and they're doing heroic things the special effects are amazing hey 
the dialogue's pretty good. I'm learning a lot from the, from right, these people about right. their character and their motivation, and they're saying very curious things. I mean, you know, they they put it all together, and that's what makes it so good. And and with Spider Man, you know, and all the history of Spider Man and and everything that happens there, uh, that is just an amazing film on yeah. every level. No, absolutely. I paired that up with um, uh, Free Guy, uh, which I hadn't seen yet. And that's an entertaining film. That was great. I, I thought yeah. it was hysterical. I thought it had just so many great moments. And T.D. Waka... Taiki Watiti. Yeah, Taiki Watiti, who uh, is, uh, you know, from you know where we are in the shadows. And, of course, he's directed a bunch of Mandalorian episodes. He was just such a standout in that. as such a fun character. That whole thing was just amazing. The suspension of disbelief was ratcheted high, but... As a gamer, as a as a video gamer, I thought that was just great. I enjoyed it, the heck out of it. It really played off of everything that we love about games. Yeah, and and I I feel and and people hate me when I say this. I think player. I I think that I think that Free Guy is the movie that Ready Player One wanted to be, but didn't deliver. Yeah, you know, I watched Ready Player One last year. I hadn't seen it, and I, and of course, I love the book. Um, the Ready Player One book by Ernest Klein is an amazing book, especially for those of us who grew up being gamers, uh, you know, in the 80s and into the 90s. Um, it is it really is an amazing book. And I thought they did OK with the movie. Like you said, I mean, it was missing a lot of things, but you're right. Free Guy really pulled the, the it really pulled onto some really cool levers in my heart. And it was just it was just a fantastic movie. I loved it. So oh, it is great. And. And and if you love him as as an actor and as a director, you need to. And I think you've seen it. You need to see the movie Jojo Rabbit. I haven't seen it yet. I hear I keep oh. I keep hearing about it. I keep watching it. Uh, you oh. know. So all right, all right. I'm gonna I'll put it on my list. I'll put it on my list. We'll okay. Go, we'll watch it. All right, Willie. Well, we will look forward to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness next week. I can't wait to see what that brings to the table. Yeah, well, and I'm excited too because they are, there was an announcement that the first trailer for Avatar 2 will run with that movie. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, and I'm seeing it in 3D, so I'm kind of curious to see the trailer too. Oh, well, maybe I should watch the first Avatar. Maybe I should do that um, just to get a feel for what it's about because I haven't watched that either. I'm... You know what? It's not worth it. It's not worth it? Oh. No, Avatar. <laughs> Avatar may be the most popular movie in the history of movies. It, it, it made more money than any other movie. Gone with the Wind made more if you adjust for inflation. But it is a movie that everybody went for the technical spectacle. Uh, you know, is Avatar playing on TV all the time like Star Wars? No. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, seriously, yeah. who, who, who says Avatar is their favorite movie of all time you know it doesn't play like star wars it doesn't play like raiders of the lost ark it doesn't play like even the hunger games or harry potter i can see i understand that now okay good well i didn't miss anything i keep feeling like i missed out i guess i didn't miss anything all right well you'll have to give us the report next week willie waffle wafflemovies.com thank you my friend i appreciate it you got it talk to you next week folks out of time we'll see you on monday have a great weekend
we've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 